You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Today on the podcast, it's going to be Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you take control of what we talk about by sending in questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Bills, and I respond to them here on the podcast. And so that's what we're going to do today. But first, there's been some news regarding the Buffalo Bills coaching staff. With Brian Dable now the head coach of the New York Giants, He's already plucked a Buffalo Bills assistant coach. Joining him with the Giants is offensive line coach Bobby Johnson. And Bobby Johnson's contract was expired, and he opted to follow Brian Dable to the Giants and become their offensive line coach. Pursued a new opportunity. And we don't know if there was an opportunity to stay in Buffalo. We don't know if there was a contract extension offered to Bobby Johnson. But he had a chance to go to the Giants with Brian Dable, and he took it. And so now we have to kind of stay tuned here as it relates to several other Buffalo Bills assistant coaches on the offensive side of the football. What's going to happen with Shea Tierney, who is the assistant's quarterback's coach? Ryan Wendell, the Bills' assistant offensive line coach, is rumored to go potentially to the Raiders with Josh McDaniels. Wide receivers coach Chad Hall, let's see what happens there. Ken Dorsey, obviously, that's a big one. There's some reports out there that he has an offer from the Bills and the Giants, and he's deciding between the two to be the offensive coordinator. And then, of course, like I kind of said yesterday, who's going to become the Bills quarterback's coach? Could that be Davis Webb? And so there's a lot of layers to this Bills offensive coaching staff where changes are already happening left and right. And so we'll see how the Bills go about Replacing those coaches. Obviously, Sean McDermott assembled this offensive coaching staff, and it looks like he's going to have to find several new pieces. Now, as the Bills await Ken Dorsey's decision, they have placed interview requests for the offensive coordinator position to Baltimore Ravens wide receivers coach T. Martin and Edgar Bennett, who is the wide receivers coach for the Las Vegas Raiders. And so there's a lot of Things weighing in the balance, and as we find out the news, we'll respond to it here for you on this podcast. But that's kind of what's up in the air right now. Let's get to herd mentality. So many great questions. Let's get started. First one today comes from Smooth, who says, To build on what Bean said regarding getting good football players with speed, where on the offense do you think this player will fit? Wide receiver one and wide receiver three are locked in. And Dawson Knox is as athletic as it gets for a tight end. That leaves running back and wide receiver two, where an 80% plus snap player with speed can be inserted into the lineup. No disrespect to Gabe Davis, but wide receiver two seems like the logical spot where this player needs to be. Alternatively, maybe having a gadget guy like Isaiah McKenzie or Marquez Stevenson, who only plays 20% of the snaps, is good enough. I think if the Bills add speed to the football team, they can do so at both running back and wide receiver. If they want to have a true vertical threat in the passing game that can take the top off the defense, 
go ahead and find one and add it to the to the offense at wide receiver. There's also room for speed in the running back room where it's Devin Singletary and what? Zach Moss? Zach Moss is slow. You know that. Matt Breida's contract is expired, and I don't expect him to be back. And so I think the Bills have two spots where if they wanted to get faster, there is the opportunity at both running back and wide receiver. Rob says, if even T.J. Watt couldn't get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, what makes D-line the most important part of the defense? Well, I would first of all disagree with you about T.J. Watt not being able to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. If you're referring to the playoff game between the Steelers and Chiefs, I mean, T.J. Watt had five pressures in a sack. He made an impact in the football game. So I thought what you saw in terms of Patrick Mahomes struggling in the AFC Championship game was on half the snaps, the Bengals rushed three and dropped eight, and they were able to get pressure with three and obviously flood the coverage lanes with eight defenders. And so it's about being disciplined with that rush. It's about picking your spots. It's about bottling him up in the pocket and really eliminating the space available for him to slot throws against zone coverage. And so, yeah, I mean, if you can affect Patrick Mahomes with three rushers, you are going to be in business. I just think it's the fundamental point of a defense is that your ability to affect the quarterback with your pass rush complements what you do on the back end. And the coverage can help the pass rush. The pass rush can help the coverage. But Brandon Bean obviously subscribes to the defensive line being the priority when it comes to the pass rush versus coverage debate. The next one today comes from Dean who says, still heartbroken as I'm sure most of Bill's Mafia is, but starting to feel better when I look at how bright our future is with Josh Allen. I know that our window for a Super Bowl could be 10 more years with him in place, but a couple of questions around the current team. As I see, the current makeup of our window is only a couple years. Cole Beasley, Micah Hyde, Mitch Morris, Jordan Poyer are not getting any younger, for example, based on what we saw over the last two seasons and knowing the next two years we have a really good shot. What are your thoughts on these two areas? Number one, defensive line. Do we draft and try to find somebody who will be an immediate impact player, or do we try to sign a free agent at a reasonable price? My fear is drafting somebody who needs a couple of years to find their way may take us out of that window. And then offensive guard. Our offensive line looked really good over the last six games of the season. Do you think Ryan Bates did enough to solidify a spot for next season so that we already have our starting lineup? Or do you think we need to draft a guard in the first or second round and hopefully get an immediate impact as a rookie on the offensive line? So in terms of the defensive line, when you talk about going out and signing a player, it's going to be challenging because pass rushers on the open market are very expensive. I mean, you're talking an average annual value of 15 plus million per season. And the Bills aren't really in position to offer that type of money to a pass rusher. And that's why they've went to the draft to stockpile some young defensive linemen so that way they can get a premium asset at a low cost. There's an economic point of view as it relates to those decisions. You need to find cheap labor, and you're able to try to find cheap labor at a premium spot, and that's really going to help with your ability to field a competitive and balanced roster. And so 
there is going to be a curve, and that's the challenge for the Bills. You have good football players in place, but yes, some of them are aging. And how do you replace them? Well, you draft and develop. That's the plan that they subscribe to, and it's a good plan. It's a plan that allows you to keep your window open for as long as possible. And that's the objective here for the Buffalo Bills. Now, I am less concerned about the offensive line. You mentioned Ryan Bates. He really stabilized things at left guard. And literally everyone's under contract for next season on the offensive line. Now, the Bills have some opportunities with Darrell Williams, with John Feliciano, with Mitch Morse as it relates to their salaries and their contracts that they could get out of some of those deals and free up some space. But literally all of the offensive linemen that the Bills rostered last year are under contract for next season, minus Ryan Bates, who is an unrestricted free agent, and I expect him to be back. Also, Ike Bakker, but his season ended with the Achilles injury, and I think everyone was quite satisfied with how Ryan Bates stepped in. And so I think the Bills are in much better shape with the offensive line than the defensive line, and so the defensive line would be my priority. The next one comes from Steve, who says, Hey, Joe, I'd like to get the ball rolling on being for team trade down in the draft listening to a few recent mock drafts on the Draft Dudes podcast, and it seems that you and Kyle hold your noses while making this year's quarterbacks prospects to teams in the first half of the first round. This leads me to believe that perhaps there would be a buyer to move up to 25 and get their quarterback later in the first, thus allowing the Bills to grab an extra day to pick. What teams, if any, do you see as candidates for such a move, and what type of compensation would that net the Bills? I think this is a great idea, and you're exactly right. Both Kyle and myself on the Draft Dudes podcast, we like this quarterback class, but we don't love it. And there's a lot of quarterback need across the NFL. And so when you look at teams like the Saints and the Broncos and the Steelers and, I mean, so many other teams that need a quarterback, there should be plenty of teams that are interested in moving back into the first round and and trading up into it. And the Bills at 25 could be a really good spot for a team to come up and do that. And so I think if the Bills were to go from 25 to 40 or 25 to 45, the Bills could absolutely net some nice additional day two draft capital. And I think it's something that the Bills should really consider unless there's a player on the board at 25 that you can't trade away from. That is good value that you feel like can impact your football team and you don't want to move away from that player even if it means getting another couple of reasonable chances to get solid players on day two of the draft and so I think this is a great idea by Steve to really start considering the possibility of the Bills being a team that trades completely out of the first round there might be less football being played but betonline.net has way more odds and info for this playoff season from scores totals player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games And BetOnline is where the game starts. The next one today comes from Alex, who says, where would you place Josh Allen on the NFL's list of top 100 players next year, and who else from the Bills could you see on the list? Thanks and love the show. 
Thank you, Alex. Well, I think Josh Allen is in that top 10. And I'm not one of these guys that gets all hung up on stacking elite football players. To me, it's just splitting hairs. Are you really going to sit here and debate Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Donald and Josh Allen and whatever other players are in this elite tier? They're all elite impact playmakers. And so just be in that conversation, and it's not really something that I'm going to get too hung up on if Josh Allen is 10, 9, 3, 5. It's, you know, he's in that tier, and I think that's the important part. As for other players that could be on the list, I mean, Stephon Diggs immediately comes to mind. How about Deion Dawkins, a Pro Bowl left tackle? I think both Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde have a strong case to be on that list. And you'd like to think that Trey White is an every-year type guy, but, you know, he got hurt. Um you know, with a fair amount of the season left to play, and that might push him out of the list. But between the two safeties, Josh Allen, Deion Dawkins, and Stephon Diggs, I think the Bills should have a good amount of representation on that list in the coming year. Ryan says, I think one of the hardest parts of this loss, besides what actually happened, was the prospects of what a win would have entailed in a season where there was no great team, the possibility of hosting a young quarterback in Burrow and a Bengals team with many flaws against an NFC without Brady or Rodgers, I believe the path to a Super Bowl was as clear as ever. Facing Aaron Donald or Bosa was a scary thought, but with a win against the Chiefs, were the Bills the odds-on favorites to win the Super Bowl in your mind? So I think that it would have been pretty clear that if the Bills would have beat Kansas City, the Bills would have been favored to beat the Bengals in Buffalo. And then when you talk about the Super Bowl against the Rams, I think that it would have been a pretty close spread. But I think there's a good chance that the Bills would have been favored in that football game. I do think that the Bills squandered a great opportunity to win the Super Bowl this year. And it's kind of hard to say because the Bengals beat the Chiefs twice. And both times, I mean, the Chiefs got up by a fair margin and the Bengals came roaring back and won the football game. And so for as much as we love to sit here and say that the AFC Championship game was during the divisional round when the Chiefs and Bills played, the Bengals beat the Chiefs twice. And it's kind of hard to argue against that. I think that the Bills are a better team than Cincinnati, but to the Bengals' credit, they went out there and won the games that they had to win to put themselves in the Super Bowl. And so I have a hard time sitting here saying that the Bills would have been a shoe-in to beat Cincinnati. I think they should have beaten Cincinnati, but I can't assume that. I'd like to think that given the way Josh Allen was playing in these playoffs that he would have put the Bills in a really good spot to win that game. And again, I do think that the Bills squandered a great opportunity to win the Super Bowl, but part of that journey is taking care of your business. And the Bills, in the final 13 seconds of that game, did not take care of their business, and therefore... They blew it. They lost their chance. And so while I think the Bills could have done it, they didn't. The next one today comes from overseas Bills fan who says, Greg Olson has come out and said that he regrets not going to Buffalo and playing with Josh Allen. And there's speculation that J.J. Watt might feel the same after choosing Arizona. As one article puts it, don't be surprised if some players turn down more money elsewhere for the chance to win a ring with Josh Allen in the Bills. Do you think this could be the case? Are there other good examples of players choosing Super Bowl contenders on favorable deals that you could point to? 
So I think there's a chance that this could happen, and maybe that kind of did already when you consider the signing of Emmanuel Sanders. And so I do think that there is a good chance that veterans across the NFL that are in the late stages of their career could view the Buffalo Bills as a great chance to go win a Super Bowl and take a team-friendly deal for that opportunity. And so, yeah, I think that's a reasonable opinion to have. And when you think about recent examples, I mean, my mind immediately goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who were able to get a guy like Kong Su on a very team-friendly deal to come over. Richard Sherman, Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady's not getting paid like Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen. And so I do think that, you know, that's the type of situation where you've seen that happen. You've seen it happen with the Rams. I mean, Eric Weddle is on that football team. A couple years ago, they had Clay Matthews. I mean, so I do think that there's a, a chance that the Bills could do that type of stuff and that, you know, players would want to, but the Bills are also very committed to their process of drafting and developing and guys earning roles. And, you know, I'm not sure that the Bills are going to be overly eager to just bring in all these guys for one-year deals and, you know, them not really coming up through their system. So I, I can kind of see it going both ways, but certainly a reasonable opinion to have. The next one today comes from Aaron, who says, wondering where you stand on F.A. Obata. Three and a half sacks on limited snaps. I think he's played well when he's had the chance, but he seems to be going under the radar a little. I think I'd rather see him back than Hughes or Addison. Any numbers or thoughts? Go Bills. Yeah, I'm interested in F.A. Obata. You guys know that from the way I talked about him when the Bills originally signed him, coming over from Carolina and the flashes that he's shown. And obviously an immensely physically gifted football player that has made a lot of flashy splash plays over the past couple of seasons on limited snaps. And so I do think that he'd be a great player to bring back on a low-cost deal to be part of that mix with Greg Rousseau and A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham. And so, yes, I am in favor of that. I am interested in seeing more F.A. Obata and continuing his work with Eric Washington, the defensive line coach, to – continue making an impact and maybe that is in an expanded role as the player F.A. Obata continues to evolve and learn the game of football and as the opportunities are more and more present for him to do so and so I am very curious on F.A. Obata and I think he could be brought back on a very reasonable contract. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and save money when using Rock Auto. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? They have everything you could need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. The next one today comes from Tyrone who says, When do you feel like quarterbacks reach their mental peak? I feel like it's year five or six and wonder how much better Allen can get at the mental aspects of the game. 
I would agree with you that through four seasons, I don't think Josh Allen is at his mental peak. And I think it's probably different from quarterback to quarterback. But like we talked about yesterday on the performance review podcast, talking about the Bills quarterbacks, last year it was the fastest average time to throw of Josh Allen's career in 2021. His trigger was as fast as it ever was throughout his career. And I do think that that does speak to some mental processing and seeing defenses quicker and processing and getting the ball out at a a faster rate. And I don't think he's come close to reaching his mental ceiling in terms of understanding scheme and how to beat certain coverages and protection schemes and you know pressure packages and, and where to go with the football. I do think that there's room for him to get better. And so I think that's an aspect of his game that we could see really evolve in the coming years. And I thought it happened a lot this year at times when you look at the Saints game and both of the the Patriots games late and the Chiefs game where the mental side of Josh Allen and, and his willingness to take what the defense gives him and just work the ball efficiently showed up more and more this year than ever before. And so I'm, I'm anxious to see that evolution and for Josh to continue growing in that component of his game. And, you know, I, don't, I know that he's not at his mental peak. And I think that over the next couple of seasons, we can see that, which is really exciting when you consider how uh, effective he's been and how physically gifted he is already. The next one comes from Mark, who says, I've been thinking a lot about what you said on the pod about how the Bills build their roster. It was talked about all season how the Bills' D is built to take away deep passes and tackle what's in front of them. The Bills did one of those things against the Chiefs. Mahomes did not even attempt a deep pass. Two questions arise from this. Are the Bills really built to beat the Chiefs if they were more focused on speed and stretching a defense horizontally? How can the Bills improve their tackling in the future? I don't know that the Bills' defense is specifically designed to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I think it's specifically designed to do two things. Number one, leverage the passing game that they're facing, really kind of dictate where the opposing quarterback is going to throw the football with how they space the field and how they want their pass rush to complement that. And then off of that, they like to play some more aggressive man coverage on some third downs. And it really goes back to this blended rush to coverage and how they marry it up and how they really try to dictate where you're going to go with the football. And it's an effective defense against a variety of passing attacks. And a big part of it is forcing quarterbacks to go to places on the field with the football that are difficult to complete passes. And when that's the case, it allows for your pass rush to to get home with more frequency and really apply some pressure. And that's why the Bills over the last couple of seasons have had the number one pressure rate in the NFL. Now, they don't have the most sacks, but they have the most pressures. And that's part of rushing the passer. It's affecting them. And um, a sack is better than a pressure, but a pressure is a good thing because it leads to turnovers. It leads to incomplete passes. It leads to risky decisions. And so it's just how this defense is designed to function. Um, Now, as it relates to tackling, tackling has been something that you guys have heard me talk about for years on this podcast. The Bills have never been a good tackling defense under Sean McDermott, which is crazy when you consider the success of the defense and statistically how good it's been year over year. Imagine if they tackled at an average rate. 
they are typically among the worst teams in the NFL when it comes to missed tackles. And so how do they get better at that? It's challenging because I think I've given you different answers throughout the years. I thought that stabilizing the defensive line rotation and keeping the linebackers a little bit more clean would lead to more consistent tackling. And uh, I think maybe that happened a little bit this year, but it's the Bills still weren't a great tackling defense. So I think it just goes back to coaching fundamentals. And it's one of those things where at this point in these players' careers, it's hard to really imagine them becoming all that different when it comes to tackling. And so I'm not sure I have a straight answer for you on this, but I do want to acknowledge that year over year, the Bills have been a poor team when it comes to tackling. You've heard, you've heard opponents say that. You heard Leonard Fournette after the Bucks game this year come out and say that, yeah, we knew that the Bills weren't a great tackling defense and we wanted to try to give them situations on the perimeter where they had to make tackles. And he wasn't wrong. And so it's definitely an issue with this defense that needs to get corrected. The next one comes from Don, who says, Joe, question for herd mentality. How do we move forward with Levi Wallace? Understanding that he's a good player, fits the defense, and knowing that we could do a lot worse at the position while also realizing that we need to get more athleticism and more physical ability in the secondary to help contain the Chiefs. It's one of the most interesting decisions we have this offseason. In an ideal world, we sign him to a short-term deal while drafting someone on day one or day two. I just think Levi Wallace is going to want a legit contract this offseason, and I'm unsure about how that will work with the team moving forward. Don, I think you got a great question here because Levi Wallace has been a starter on a top-tier passing defense for multiple seasons now, and he's taken those short-term prove-it deals, and he just keeps on proving it. And eventually, he's going to want to get the bag. And I think that happens this offseason because, number one, Levi Wallace has switched agencies. And number two, he came out and said that he thinks he's the best off-man corner in the league. And his representation said something along the lines that they keep trying to replace this guy and he keeps winning these battles. I think it's pretty clear that the writing is on the wall that Levi Wallace would like to get a market deal. And Spotrack is estimating his market value to be around $9 million per season. I got to be honest with you, I'm not sure the Bills should pay him that. And you guys know that I've become somewhat of a Levi Wallace apologist. But $9 million, is he that type of player per season? I don't know that i do that. I think I would go for an economic option and a draft pick. Here's the challenge. Trey White. Coming off the ACL tear, he had surgery in December. It's a 9- to 12-month recovery from an ACL. And so can you really go into a situation next year where it's Dane Jackson as your number one corner and some bargain bin free agent or a draft pick? That makes me very nervous. And so there's uh, some variables in play here that makes this very, very challenging. And again, I don't think that Levi Wallace is coming back for, you know, another one-year, $2 million deal. I just don't think that's going to be the case anymore. All the signals are there that indicate that it won't be the case. The next one comes from Steve, who says, are you in favor of resigning Isaiah McKenzie? And if yes, to what type of contract? I feel like he has earned a bigger role. Sure hope the team feels that way too. So I would like to have Isaiah McKenzie back. 
I think he brings a lot to this football team in terms of the gadget type stuff, in terms of those deep over routes that Josh Allen likes to throw. We know that the the team loves him. He's a, a good locker room guy. He's really become one of the glue pieces. I wish that things would have been better in the return game for him because you feel like that would have been a lot more value that he brings to the table. And I even like the idea of both Cole Beasley and Isaiah McKenzie being on the roster because they're such different players that bring different things to the table. And so I like the idea of Josh Allen having a full complement of wide receivers, especially ones that he has success throwing the football to. Now here's the challenging component. He's earned a bigger role, but what has he actually proven in terms of production that suggests that he's earned a big contract? Would you give him a two-year, $6 million deal, something like that? Would he take it? I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking, three to $5 million a year in terms of average annual value. But I'm not sure that I go more than two or three years. And so it's a, a complicated situation. I think Isaiah McKenzie wants more opportunity. And we'll see if he's one of those guys that goes with Brian Dable to the New York Giants. And, and so yeah, you think about if this offense is schematically different, what the vision would be for Isaiah McKenzie and how he would factor into it. And so there are some variables in play here that makes this a challenging question to answer. But from a preference standpoint, do I want to see Isaiah McKenzie back on the team? Yeah, I do. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, we'll continue our performance review series looking at the Buffalo Bills running back situation. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.